You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Good to see you today. Uh, We're going to continue on in the book of Ephesians together, and uh, this morning we have arrived at a very, very good place. Uh, There's a a lady named Helen Rosevere who was a missionary to the country of Zaire, and Helen was from England and um, worked in an area where there was kind of like a hospital, an orphanage, all that set up in one. She referred to it as her station. And one day a um, mother was brought in that began to give birth prematurely and the mom died. And uh, the baby was saved though, and, uh, but they tried to uh, put together uh, a little bit of an incubator to help keep the baby alive and breathing. And one of the things they needed to do that was one of those old-fashioned hot water bottles that probably some of you who are my age or older know what I'm talking about. The only one they had was worn out and shot. And so Helen went to some of the children in the orphanage and asked them to begin praying for the little girl and, that was just born and her sister. And uh, so this one little girl began praying... And she very, very specifically prayed, God, we need you to send a water bottle and we need you to send it today because tomorrow will be too late and the baby will be dead. And we pray that you would send a baby doll as well. Amen. And Helen, kind of confused, uh, went to the little girl and said, hey, um, I appreciate you praying. Can I ask why you prayed for the baby doll? And the little girl said, well, I know that the the girl's big sister is going to be lonely and a baby doll will help her from being lonely. So Helen said, okay, I get it. Well, that day, a very large package is delivered to the village. And when it gets there, they open it up and the kids start tearing through it. And there's clothes and there's food and there's all those kind of things in there that you would expect to be in there. But then sure enough, one kid reaches in and pulls out a water bottle And they run this water bottle into the hospital area, hook it up into this incubator where they need it. This baby's life is saved. Well, the little girl that prayed, Helen said that she looked back and that girl was head first in the box. Stuff's flying out. And of course, the very last thing that you probably can guess is at the very, very bottom of that box is a baby doll. And uh, that little girl was able to take that baby doll, give to that little sister. Here's the part of the story that you, you don't know. Months before this, a group of women were gathered studying the word of God who knew Helen and prayed for her often and felt compelled right then and there to pray for her. And as they did, they felt God leading them to put together a big box of supplies that they had absolutely no idea why those supplies mattered, but those were things that they felt like God was telling them they should put in the box. A water bottle, a baby doll. How's that happen? It's God. 
God knows what we need before we're ever even aware of it. And God knows of our desperation. Have you felt desperation before? God knows of our desperation before we ever even feel the anxiety. He knows all this. I want to ask you to consider something this morning. When was the last time that you asked God to do something that required your faith, but completely depended on his faithfulness? When was the last time that you asked God to do something that it required your faith just to even ask, but it was going to completely depend on his faithfulness for it to happen, for it to come through? If you'll remember last week, Paul starts praying, but then digresses, uh, and he starts talking about the stewardship of God's grace that we've been given. Well, this morning, Paul prays that prayer, and we're going to take a look at it together. Now, you may remember, Paul's already prayed in chapter 1 of Ephesians and asked God to... um, Give us a spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of him that God would enlighten the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our hearts. What Paul prays is that we would know God. And this is a bit of a a broad statement and it's not completely like all encompassing, but it's fair to say this. Um, The first three chapters of Ephesians are about who we are in Christ The next three chapters of Ephesians are really about now how are we to live as those people who are in Christ. And this prayer that Paul prays this morning is kind of this bridge from the first to the next. But understanding both of those things, who we are in Christ and how we are to live in Christ together as his people, these are essential and foundational for the Christian life. We must know these things. Um, And neither of them are going to be realized without the power of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and in our midst. That's the substance and the fuel for Paul's prayer that we're going to see, read, and pray this morning. It's only through God's Spirit and through God's power that we will know Him and do His will. I want to ask you for a moment just to bow your head and and us ask God very, very specifically this morning to teach us and stir our hearts. Lord, this morning we, um, we ask you to overwhelm us with the knowledge of who you are. Um, God, overwhelm us with confidence of who we are in Christ. Father, we ask you to give us the faith um, to ask you to do Um, way more in us and through us than we can possibly accomplish or imagine on our own. And God, give us the courage to step out in faith for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul starts, now you remember in verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on your behalf... Dash, assuming that you've heard, and then Paul begins the digression. But the prayer starts for this reason. Well, here in verse 14, now we're going to actually start praying. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Stop there. 
because Paul has uttered this statement twice now. Let's talk about it for a second. For this reason, what reason? What reason is it that Paul is bowing his knees? Well, it's a reason that's so big, Paul just spent 11 verses reiterating it. And the reason for Paul to get on his knees, on his face before God, on behalf of the Ephesians, is that he is overwhelmed by the grace of God. Paul is stunned and overwhelmed by God's grace. Listen to what Tony Meredith says in describing this. Uh, in his commentary on Ephesians, Paul was stunned at God's grace in saving sinners individually and in uniting them corporately. Paul is absolutely rocked by the grace and mercy of God. And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. I think it's important to understand from the very onset as Paul is praying that there's a, an enormous level of humility here. Paul approaches the Lord with reverence and awe. Th- this prayer is very reminiscent of Psalm 95. Come and bow down and worship. Let us worship and bow down before the Lord. Let us kneel before our maker. Paul begins this prayer with great reverence and awe of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray for you that according to his riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We don't talk a lot about the inner being, do we? Has that, those words come up in conversation you've been having lately? Hey, how's your inner being? No. What's Paul talking about here? Our inner being. He's talking about power on the inside. A better way of putting it is, Paul is talking about spiritual strength. And I would just say, side note, when we read what Paul says here, uh, that Christ may uh, dwell in your inner being, um, this means that all the other aspects of our life, our physical strength, emotional strength, mental strength, if spiritual strength is not on top of the list, we've got some rearranging of our priorities to do. But what Paul prays here, he uses this word dwell. We don't use that word a whole lot either. Dwell means more than to just inhabit. I spent the last week, uh, almost, at my mother-in-law and father-in-law's house. I, I feel like their home is like home away from home. Um, In fact, I feel like the beach by their house is home away from home. If I just had a tent, I'd be fine right out there, all right? Um, But I don't dwell there. I don't inhabit that. What Paul means by to dwell is he means to settle down. Like I come with the truck, with everything that I own. That would delight my mother-in-law, wouldn't it? Ding dong, I'm here. Uh, Now, if I had the grandkids, we'd be fine. 
But dwell means permanent residency, okay? And Paul prays that Christ would be welcome to make his home in our hearts. In other words, hey, Lord, come on in. If there's anything you need to take out, bring in, redecorate, whatever, it's all yours. That's what it means for him to dwell in our inner being. And and think about this. This is how we fight sin, okay? This is how we proclaim the gospel with courage. This is how we love people as Christ has loved us, by him indwelling us. And so Paul is talking about more than Christ living in our hearts. He's talking about Christ ruling our hearts. And there's a difference. See, we don't just, if we want to use our old school terms, we don't just invite Christ to live within us. We invite Christ to rule over us. I pray that according to his riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then Paul says that you might. I'm praying all of this so that that you might have power through his spirit. That you might have faith in your hearts. That you might be rooted and grounded in love. And you know what? I think we read right over those words a lot and we don't let them sink deeply within us that everything in my life has got to be rooted and grounded in love. I mean, think through that for a minute. That seriously jacks with our Facebook activity, doesn't it? I mean, if we're just talking about one little phase of life, when we get behind the wheel of the car, I mean, is everything going on in my life rooted and grounded in love? Paul is praying that I would be filled in my inner being so that that might happen, so that you might have strength to comprehend and to know the love of Christ, which is impossible to fully comprehend, but we can now strive to comprehend it anyways alongside one another, Paul says, with all the saints. Paul prays all of this, Verse 19, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Question to contemplate this morning. How full do you think the fullness of God is? Because I don't think that we really can grasp it very well because our idea of full is a little bit messed up. Here's what I mean. Think about this. You're told, and maybe you haven't heard this, but uh, I'm going to give you some free news this morning. You're not supposed to overfill your car with gas. Okay? So when you, you know, we, we're lazy nowadays. We just, the, the thing goes up and it hangs there and then we can go, you know, mess with our cell phone or wash our windows or whatever. And then finally it goes click and it's telling you your car's full. But if you're like me, I have this, OCD thing that I'm not on like 50 or 75. So like tick, 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 tick. And I always go like one cent over. You're not supposed to overfill the car with gas. If you have a small child and they are starting to uh, learn to fend for themselves, if you will, serve themselves, 
uh, you know, they go to pour something. And of course, it's going to be like juice or milk. It's never going to be water. And you're watching them and you're telling them, hey, we don't want the glass full. This is full right here, okay? Because then we know what happens if it gets full, they're going to take it and it's going to be everywhere. So full is not really full, right? Eating. You're not supposed to eat until you're full. You're supposed to eat until you're satisfied. How many of us actually do that? I've told you this before. I'll probably tell you again. I have a friend named Ken, and Ken's motto is eat through the pain. You know, we, we eat till we're full, till something in us doesn't say I'm satisfied. It says if you eat one more bite, you will throw up. So what's kind of happened is our, whether it's our fear of full or our abuse of full, has maybe caused us to underestimate God's love of full. Because see, what God wants to do in you, in me, is he wants to fill us in such a way that we're so full that it just flows out of us. And see, in our lives, in most every area, we're scared of that. But God's not up to like, there's this line and he wants to stop there. The way I would word it to you is Paul is praying, God, do all of this in them that you would then overflow out of them, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at that this morning. Is this what God is doing in you right now? Because this is what Paul's praying God would do. And I assure you, that's why Christ came. Because John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the fullest. That's the fullest. Overflowing. Friends, let me say this to you this morning. When we pray like this, we will begin to live like we pray like this. If you start praying and I start praying like Paul's praying here in Ephesians chapter 3, I'll begin living like I pray like this. You want to know something? Here's somebody that I believe prays and lives like they pray like this. And and you can laugh about it if you want to. Tim Tebow? That young man lives like he prays like this. We were just talking earlier before the service. I don't know if you saw what happened with Tim this week. And, you know, it's just like every week there's something new. Because like three or four weeks ago, Tim's on an airplane and some man begins having heart problems. And he just walks through the plane, goes and puts his hand on the man and starts praying. Man, he's fine now. This week, Tim's out signing autographs. While I will mention most of the rest of the guys are in a locker room or somewhere, and some man starts having a seizure. Tim climbs over the wall, puts his hand on the man, begins praying for him. Seizure stops. John and I were talking earlier about this this morning, that they wrote about this in USA Today. Okay, remember, this is a guy playing double-A baseball. When we begin praying like this, we will live like we pray like this. When we ask God and we believe God to do what we could never accomplish, when, when we ask God to 
provide what we could never provide, when we ask him to overcome what we could never overcome on our own, we will begin to live and act in expectancy of God to accomplish and provide and overcome. Paul prays it and Paul believes it. And now Paul is going to put an exclamation point on his belief in this prayer. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more than you and I could ever even begin to think to ask, A question for you this morning, a question for me this morning, is do we believe that God is as powerful as Paul says that he is? Do you believe that God is as powerful as Paul says he is? That he can do infinitely more, that he can do far, far, far more than you and I could ever think to ask, that we could comprehend, that we could grasp Do we believe this? And if we believe it, does our life reflect it? Does our life reflect it? Does our prayer reflect it? If I asked, do you believe that God could save everyone in your workplace? If we just took a survey this morning, And we said, okay, hey, if you believe that God can save everyone in your workplace this morning, raise your hand. We'd be raising our hands. We believe that. But if I ask you, do you believe that God can save everyone in your workplace through you? All of a sudden, our tone and our tune both change. Well, now hold off on there, Brian. Just me? just you. Remember, this is a letter written to churches in what was a godless city because the gospel came to this city through one man. One man. Who by the time he got to Ephesus, we have a lot of reason to believe had some physical problems, may not have been like the greatest public speaker in the world through that guy. When was the last time that you asked God to do something that required your faith but depended on his faithfulness? When was the last time you asked God to do something that required your faith and quite possibly required your action along with it? Because see, there are things that we can pray that they are totally dependent on God moving. And then there are other things that we pray that are totally dependent on God moving and us obeying. And sometimes we have to discern the two. Because see, like, I'll just tell you, uh, when my mother-in-law, when we found out that she had cancer, this was the thing of, 
of us praying and it being totally dependent on God, there's nothing that I can do to help here. Nothing. And to be very honest with you in those times, there are times that we tend to pray things like, Lord, your will be done. No, you know what? I I didn't want to pray that this time. What I prayed was, God, I am praying that you completely, radically heal my mother-in-law for your glory. If you got something else in mind, then you need to adjust my heart and I'm okay. But that's what I'm asking you to do. We got to stop praying with contingency plans because we don't want to be disappointed if God has a different answer. God wants to hear, this is what we want, Lord. And if we're asking from the wrong heart, then change our hearts. Now to him who is able to do infinitely greater than you and I know to even ask or think. What does Paul say next? According to the power at work within us. According to the power at work within us. Do you see, do you feel, do you experience, do you know that this power is at work in your life right now? If not, I would ask you to consider, is it possible that you're not being strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being? That's what Paul prayed at the beginning, remember? Well, this is why. Because he's asking God to do all of these things according to the power at work within us. Well, folks, if it's according to the power at work within us, that power better be working in and through us. Is it working in and through you right now? And if not, is it possible that you're not being strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being? Is it possible that you're not asking God to do great things through you because you're not really allowing him to do great things in you? Because see, if you and I spend eight hours at work and two hours at the gym and four hours in front of the TV and we spend 10 minutes reading guidepost, we are not being strengthened with power in our inner being. The word of God has got to be saturating, consuming our lives, our thoughts, our actions, all of it. Paul's saying here, God desires to see his power at work in us and through us so that his glory is made known in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Are you ready today to move on to audacious faith? Some of us in this room, if we're just being gut level honest, we don't want the word audacity associated with us. That's a little too for me, you know, I like to play it in the middle. Sorry. When it comes to faith in God through Jesus Christ, audacious is your option. Are are you ready to move on to audacious faith? That is faith that says, God, if you don't come through here, then we might be in trouble. Because if you're ready to go there, I'm ready to go there. 
audacious faith requires audacious prayer. And the Apostle Paul, he didn't say this. He would never say this. We know this because he begins the prayer in humility. But Paul is saying, hey, church, not just in Ephesus, but you in Madison, let me show you how to pray. This is how to pray. Go in your kid's bedroom at night when they're getting ready to go to sleep and pray this prayer over them. And pray the one in Ephesians 1. Just pray them over each other. That this is what God would do. I want to ask you this morning, and I want you to take out a pen and and the bulletin that we gave you. Even if you're not a sermon note taker, we're going to write this down. Okay, because when we write it down, it brings new levels of accountability. But I I want you with me this morning to ask the Lord to navigate and to steer our hearts in how we are to pray and what we are to pray. I'd like to ask you just for a moment just to bow your head. And I know you're not going to be able to write with your eyes closed. That's okay. We're going to open our eyes, close our eyes as we need to. But we're going to begin this like the Apostle Paul. I want you to fill in the blank as the Holy Spirit leads and guides you this morning. But we need to pray. God, I am praying that you will accomplish. God, that you will save. God, that you will overcome through my life. For your glory. God, I am praying that you would accomplish this thing. What is that thing that God is laying on your heart? Maybe it's something in front of you that you don't believe you can accomplish on your own. God, I'm praying that you will save. Who is the person in your life right now or the people that you know they don't have the hope that you do in Christ and you know that the gospel will change their life eternally? God, I'm praying that you will save this person through my life for your glory. God, I am asking you to overcome. Is there a sin in your life that you just keep running back to that just keeps tripping you up that just seems to be waiting at your door every day, knocking, saying, hey, I just want to come in and hang out, and you just can't seem to get through it. God, I am praying that you will overcome this sin in my life, through your spirit, for your glory. And maybe that we would also pray, God, Lord, grant me the opportunity whatever it may be. God, grant me the opportunity to share the gospel. God, grant me opportunity to love that person that on my own, there is no way I can love. God, grant me the opportunity to be your hands and feet. through your power, 
in your spirit for your glory. Is there someone in your life right now that you are praying that God would heal them? I just encourage you this morning to ask God to heal them. Is there provision that you need that you're not going to get, you're not going to find on your own? Is there temptation that you are not going to overcome on your own? Will you ask God this morning, Lord, I know that Christ died for my sin. He has already overcome it. God, give me the courage to walk in faith and overcome it. Is there a relationship broken in your life that needs to be restored? Now, don't start praying this until you realize this may be a prayer that is dependent on God's faithfulness, but it's dependent on your action. God, will you do whatever you have to do, whatever you need to do to restore this relationship? Look up here for a moment, if you would. I want to share with you this morning some things that I'm praying. And maybe you choose to join me. I'm praying through this church and our brothers and sisters in Christ in this city that we will literally wipe out the need for DHR. That we will literally see every child that's in need of a home have a home that we put the foster care business almost out of business. That's what I'm praying that God would do. That we become so overwhelmed with the calling to care for the orphan and the widow that there are no more orphans. That there are no more widows who are looking to their left and to their right and wondering who's going to help me? How am I going to take care of this? We just take care of that problem. But understand, that's not only going to depend on God's faithfulness, it's going to depend on our action. I think we're also deceived because we live in a very, very prosperous place. Not just financial, but intellectual. I mean, the wealth of the place where we live puts a mask and a facade over the fact that there are people hungry right here where we live. There are children who are going to go to bed tonight and their stomach is going to be talking louder than I am right now. And friends, what I am praying is that God, through our church family, and you know what? If our brothers and sisters in Christ around this city are with us, great. If not, that's fine too. But I'm praying that we would literally eradicate hunger right here where we live. And you might, if you start thinking about this for a moment, you look at the the ministries that we have decided to focus on here at our church of not only taking care of foster children, but ministering to DHR and, and One Harvest and Lunches of Love and what we're about to do next month with CASA in working with people to take care of their homes so that they don't spend the winter freezing. There are people around us in desperate need of hope. 
And a lot of times that hope shows up first at someone's door saying, hey, I heard you have a need. I'm here to meet it. That's what I'm praying would happen. I'm praying that we would make that impact in this city. Not for the sake of the brook. Who cares? For the sake of the kingdom of God. Audacious faith requires audacious prayers. I want to encourage you this morning, and I'm not going out on any limb here, folks, because the Apostle Paul is audacious as it comes. What if you and I spent this week, every day, taking Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and praying them over our own lives, praying them over one another, praying them over our children, praying them over our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews, our homes, our workplace, our neighborhood. Will you pray this with me? Let me ask you to bow your head. Father, this morning we come to you And we pray that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant us strength. God, that you would give us power through your spirit in our inner being. So that you, Lord Jesus, would dwell in our hearts through faith. God, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. That we would have strength to somehow comprehend together with all the saints your radical, incomprehensible love. God, that we would know, not know about, but God, that we would know the love of Christ, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, we are asking you to pour out your spirit on us Pour out your spirit on us. Fill us, overflow in us and through us and out of us. Father, we praise you. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to your power at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We lift you up. We praise you. But Lord, more than anything, our prayer is that our lives would bring you glory.
Thank you, Jesus. For life and for hope. For your grace. Let's stand together and worship. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.